Gregoire and Dan Beeston are smart enough to know better. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to turn the volume up and rip the knob off. It's Smart Enough No Better, a podcast of science, comedy and ignorance. I'm your host, Dan J.J.J.J. Beeston, and over in the director's corner is the Wah. The Wah, how you doing? I'm really scared. There's no reason to be scared at all. Um, I just I, there's a there's a new button on my microphone called Overdrive. It's a bit intimidating, isn't it? <laughs> it is. I'm really don't, I, I don't like this new Dan. I like the Dan I can pal around. All with right, and, I might leave the I might leave that switch off. No, I just oh okay. Hi yeah. everyone. Okay. Um, In this episode of Smart Enough to Know Better, I'm going to be talking about anal sex. <laughs> I'm going to be I'm going to be talking about how your second brain helps with your second breakfast. And I need to defeat the greatest empire that ever existed. Thanks, Greg. But before we get there, what happened to you this week in science? I've been really busy preparing for National Science Week because that's what I do now. But that was ages ago when your listeners listeners to this, so I'm now dead probably. You'd be at a different part of the world. I mean, you are currently in a different part of the world, but a different, <laughs> different part of the world. I will be. I'm going to the International Astronomy Union General Assembly in Vienna to ask them about Pluto. No, actually, not at all. To promote Australian science to the world at large. And then I'm heading to Iceland to get into as many volcanoes as possible. That's my big plan. And then to uh, to swim in the continental fault, the Atlantic Ridge. That's my plan. That sounds massively dangerous. Oh, everything I just said there sounds like it's going to kill me, kill me dead. So, look, it's it's been fun knowing you. So this is the final episode of the podcast then? I think it might be. Well, no, the podcast doesn't need – you can get someone else. You can just get in a replacement baboon or something. It'll be fine. You'll be fine. True, true. Where am I going to get a baboon from? Customs laws in Australia. Like- it's true. If you want, that's why we have Patreon now to bring in a baboon. If you want Dan to have a baboon friend, please consider giving money through our Patreon. <laughs> well, I did a little bit of travelling myself. Uh, last weekend, I went to a wedding at a place called Deervale, which is in central New South Wales. Oh, okay. That's uh, an elevation of seven hundred and thirty-one meters, and I was Ooh, up at excellent. seven a.m. and I tweeted that the ground had frozen. It was covered in frost. It looked super pretty, and as the sun came out, it melted the frost, but only where there were no shadows. Mm. It, was, it was really neat. I don't get to experience frost very often, living on the coast in southeast Queensland. I mean, subtropical Australia. Yeah, subtropical. As <laughs> <laughs> Now, one of our listeners, Rowan Barber, tweeted at me that if he was to be pedantic one could point out that it is usually the condensed water that freezes, not the ground. Mm, mm. My, my hackle's raised at this. Like, I've, I've got a part of my month dedicated to Walk of Shames. I don't like to be berated by them in the middle of the month. <laughs> but <laughs> when I went to prove him wrong, I discovered that frost is really complex. Yeah. Is I, it? Yeah. What? There's all what? sorts of frost. There's wind frost, where sub-zero air chills the moisture on flowers and vegetation, and you end up with tiny ice spikes that stick all in the same direction, the direction of the wind. 
Uh, there's window frost, where the water vapor condenses in a, on a sub-zero window pane, forming fractal-looking patterns. Ooh. That's what you get when, like, Jack Frost, like, puts yes. his finger on the on the windows. That's right. That's, that's, that's what you would tell the police anyway. Yeah. <sighs> that's where those fingerprints came from. That's right. Oh, the fingerprints. Okay, got it. Sorry. <laughs> there is white frost, which mm. is when water vapor sublimates onto a frozen surface. Fair enough. It also thinks it's better than other frost, and they should just all shut up about their national heritages, and basically they can march whenever they want to. Well, and the, stop telling them. And they, there's a lot of white frost pride. There's a lot of that going on. And, and then basically we all have to punch white frost as much as we can now. Luckily, it's self-regulating because when they bring out the tiki torches, they just melt. <laughs> uh, there is actually a black frost and it's not real frost. Ooh. So I don't draw any parallels there. No, no. We, no, we, we had a fun thing about white supremacy yeah. and now we're moving on. Yeah. Because okay, yes. black frost, it just it's not even frost. It just kills plants. Right, it's like when oh. things, when it get when plants get like cold blight. enough. Yeah, pretty much. So okay. no parallel. Don't draw any parallels. No, there. This no, 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 we're not as I, far I, as the metaphor goes. Okay, the metaphor stopped. Full stop. and yeah. we moved on. Then we okay, talked good, about good. black frost. Yeah. Okay. okay yeah. There's also uh, a frost called rime, R I M E. It has no reason. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, it has a reason, and the reason's right here. Uh, oh. It's not technically frost. It's water particles touching a sub-zero surface and freezing. So you get this on ships. It's not feathery. It looks co- sort of like blobby, like the blob or a blob-like thing. Right. Oh, good. But it's good. hard That's... and rocky and icy. Oh, okay. But what we're talking about here is hoarfrost. Hoarfrost. <laughs> How dare you, sir? H-O-A-R. Okay. Not. I think you'll find it should be called sex worker frost nowadays. Just, Just... That is Otherwise. a different covering of white. What? <laughs> we are off and racing today. <laughs> yeah, I can play this game. I'm good at it too. The hoarfrost is ice crystals that are directly deposited onto a surface. Now, if a solid surface is chilled below the dew point of the surrounding humid air and the surface itself is colder than freezing, ice will form on it. The surface has to be colder than zero. Mm-hmm. So, oh, oh, well, colder than okay. freezing. Yes. Okay. So yes. the surface that the frost was on was frozen. <laughs> so I said that the ground was frozen. The surface that the frost was on was frozen. Are you sure it was hoarfrost? Yes, because that's what you get on grass blades. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I mean, you could get like the other ones, but you'd have to have wind, sub-zero winds and stuff. At any rate, it doesn't matter. All of whatever the frost lands on has to be sub zero or it's going to melt immediately and fall off. Like right. the, the surface has to be frozen. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I took photos, and the thing is, the frost is only on the top of the grass blades, it's not all the way to the bottom. Grass is actually a pretty good insulator, so the grass roots and the soil probably weren't frozen. This stops mm. the grass dying off from the cold. So okay. the question comes down to what do you consider the ground? It's semantics. Mm. If I fell on the ground, you wouldn't say, no, you fell on the grass. The grass was on top of the ground. Like the grass <laughs> in that instance is part of the ground. But I you could see. also say that the blades were frozen, but the ground underneath was above zero. So I see. it's an ambiguity of language that has tricked all of us into learning. <laughs> Thanks a fucking lot, Rowan.
So always remember that if you if you come at Dan and there's a vague error in what you say, he will take time out of his busy week to scientifically tear you to pieces. Always remember that, ladies and gentlemen. It's an important part of Dan's delightful character. And when Greg says, when you come at me, that's he's not referring to Hawes Frost. <laughs> there's going to be so much sex stories for this episode. <laughs> More sex stuff, you reckon? All right, let's get into the sex stuff. (laughs) I saw this thing on Facebook that people were making fun of. It had become a bit viral, uh, and it was uh, someone who needed some help, and people were laughing at this poor girl's question because they were like, what a dumb question it was. Mm. But I read it, and I was like, is it a dumb question? Well, I'll tell it to you. It goes like this. Help, guys, is Astroglide Keto... I'm a little concerned because I've been reading some posts where someone talked about anal carbs, and I think this may be the reason it's stalled. My boyfriend thinks it's silly, but he's not the one getting a big butt full of lube every night, and he's losing just fine. I noticed the change this week. No swimming in the cave due to shark activity, so I switched blowjob week to anal week because carbs are the devil, but I noticed a five-pound gain overnight. My diet hasn't... You're shaking your head, Greg. You're shaking your head. My diet hasn't changed. and Oh, no, you're just shuddering. Okay. My diet hasn't changed, and I've stayed within my macros, so the only thing I can think of is maybe the Astroglide has some non-keto-friendly ingredients being absorbed by my bum. Should I switch to coconut oil or olive oil? I feel weird about the olive oil because it's extra virgin. Help. That, uh, I can't. I can't even. Every every sentence was horrible. I can't. Dan, what are we? I just every part of that makes me sad. Everyone's got every, a bottom, Greg. What? Everyone's got a bottom. Uh, what? Uh-oh. Oh, oh no, that. that wasn't a threat. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone was laughing at this girl and calling her very silly. So, but I was like, well, is it such a silly thing? What can you take into your bottom? Yes, well, all I all I know about this sort of stuff, which is not much at all, is Bear Grylls. Survival Dude. Yeah, yeah. So I, I got into Bear Grylls quite a few, like for, for weeks and weeks and weeks and, and, and like for years ago, like super into Bear Grylls. And he was on a raft and he gave himself water enemas to survive on this raft so he would put water up his butt because the colon would absorb the water faster Mm. even though you may consider it an output it can be an input and you can take water in in through your anus just like some turtles and their cloacas not just water i discovered something called an alcohol enema also known colloquially as butt chugging Uh, it gets you drunk uh, it gets Listeners, can you see this whole podcast? Just imagine me rocking back and forth, just clutching my head and trying not to stim as loud as possible. Yeah, this isn't about your head. Ah, ah, ah. Please go on. Okay. You sure? You don't seem ready. No. Okay. It gets you drunk faster and you don't have to taste it. People who say that they don't drink because they don't like the taste now have that's, no excuse. That's me, actually. That's, that's you. I, I don't drink. I drink for the effect, not for the taste. Yeah, I, yeah that's okay. In that right. case, just grab a tampon, soak it in alcohol, and stuff it up there, or grab a beer bong and set yourself up like a component from a mousetrap board game. Is this real? Are you sure this is real? This is, is this real. 
this sounds like one of the things like that on the news they kind of go young kids are now sticking tampons of alcohol in their anus we were all pure children doing nothing wrong in the 60s now we should all yell at the millennials no this is a perfect solution to drinking it's a great idea with no downsides uh... okay the downsides are <laughs> number one it takes away your body's ability to vomit out toxins mm. our bodies are fantastic regulators of how much poison is in our system but this bypasses that oh good <laughs> it just dumps the ethanol straight into your bloodstream it's that's also one of the reasons i don't drink because i have a low tolerance to alcohol and my body goes we're fine we're fine we're fine we're fine we are vomiting it all out right now there's no in, there's no in between for me it's just like everything's great i'm dancing and singing and having grand old time and suddenly it's less like purge 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 it's, it's that's I don't get... everyone's reaction to alcohol greg people that's people why have... we keep drinking until we vomit I, but there are people who seem to slow down and stop and go to sleep or, you know, they fall over or that sort of stuff. And then they vomit. I just seem to go into vomit. I don't do it anymore. Why would we do this to ourselves? We're a dumb monkey. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's a, it's a ridiculous. Can you give me just a... <laughs> okay, where was I? Um, okay, when alcohol gets into your stomach, it runs into an alcohol dehydrogenase enzyme. That's the first time I've said that and I've you said, said it that. perfectly. At perfectly the first time. I'm super impressed the yeah, first time. Yeah, that's pretty good, yeah, huh? Yeah, pretty okay. Good. This breaks down alcohols that could otherwise be toxic into aldehydes or ketones. Spirits are keto-friendly. If you put alcohol up your bum, it doesn't break down to the ketones. The ethanol goes straight to your bloodstream and kidneys. It's not a good deal. You want those ketones if you're on a keto diet. Right. Okay. Good. Okay. So I hope she's listening. I hope that young lady's listening to this podcast. I, I assume she is. Because otherwise, what are we doing but with hey, our lives? You know, lots of us probably have Astroglide going up there and maybe are worried about weight gain. Yes. This isn't just for her. No, it's true. She's it, not the it, only person in the world having anal sex. Uh, I, I, I don't. What? Oh. Okay. Uh, so the next question is can I absorb carbs down there? I can mm. definitely absorb moisture. I found an article called Emergency Rectal Hydration in Remote Environments. Ooh, this by is what Bear you Grylls. were talking about. Yes. If someone needs water but they can't drink it, maybe they're unconscious, maybe they're vomiting because of the heat stroke and they can't mm -hmm. keep anything down, or if they're in shock, if you give someone water orally, their digestive system will have to start up and that draws blood supply away from their important Ooh. organs. And you, right. you need blood supply at your important organs. Now, you could give someone an intravenous drip, but that requires you to have all the stuff there and to be trained. But uh, if all you have is your trusty beer bong, mm. then <clears throat> rectal rehydration can provide a simple, safe, and effective means to rehydrate a casualty who is unconscious or nauseous with less risk of adversely affecting their hemodynamic balance. The technique requires neither sterile fluids, special equipment, or specific training. It, uh, okay. Yeah. Do you want to learn how to do it? No. Is it going to stop you? No, you can't. You're in a different part of the planet. Oh, no. Okay, number one, explain the procedure to the patient and gain informed consent, if possible. <laughs> if possible. Yeah. Yes, I like – this is one of those things when you're doing uh, CPR – and CPR, you try and get consent, but they may be unconscious, so you have to make a decision to save their life without their consent. And, and you're pretty much protected by law if you're not being a douche nozzle about it. Uh, so, yes, it's in this case, 
Yes, yeah. I guess you can just go for it. So if I find an unconscious lady, I can just start putting my hands on her chest, and um, that's it's, that's that's not where the heart is, Dan. That's, that's not where not, the heart. You and you are not helping at the situation. And the answer is technically yes. Uh, if you're doing it, yeah, as long as you're not being a douche nozzle, you forgot the not being a douche nozzle part of the thing. Yeah, no, that's a that's a, that was a given. <laughs> Number two. Maintain dignity and privacy by screening the area or casualty, but request a witness if dealing with a minor or if there is a cultural or gender difference. Yes. I can't help but think that if you're putting a hose up someone's jacksy, maybe you're, there's no way of them maintaining dignity. I think at that point. And, uh, do you, are you meant to tell everyone so they don't think it's weird? They go, I am now going to stick this pipe up this person's anus. I am not a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you broadcast it. Okay, number three, filter. Gather around, gather around. I will be, please screen the body as I stick this hose up there, Jaxi. Woohoo! Number three, filter and boil the water if taken from a natural source. Can't How imagine. How hot do you want it in the anus? Well, warm water as near to body temperature as possible or 40 oh. degrees for the hypothermic or hypovolemic okay. casualty. Not Ooh. so hot that you can't be tolerated by dipping your elbow in it. Ah, so the you, baby you've test. got to boil it first. And yes. then get it to a body temperature. It will take a while to get something from 100 degrees down to 40 degrees. Yes. Dissolve. And then you have to dip a baby in it because that's how that's what they do. You put your elbow in it to see if, if you can put it safely, put it in a baby. So if you want to see if it's safe for your elbow, I'm assuming you just dip a baby into it. Oh, that's clever. Yeah. No, that, yeah. that works. You've got to dissolve sufficient rehydrating solution into the warmed water. Salts. So salts mean? and sugars. Yes, uh, or, or, or Gatorade, or Powerade, or... Specifically, or... sodium and potassium. Oh, there you go. You... Sticky things your bum puts back in what nature takes out. <laughs> oh, my goodness, there should be Gatorade anal rehydration systems, like, like a Gatorade bottle, but with a big pipe that you whack, you put it on your shoulder like a camelback, it, licks, it, it connects to your shoulder, and then the pipe goes down your back into your bum. We could make millions. Gator anal. We have a name! Okay, now this is it. This one's important. Mark the drinking tube twenty centimeters from the end with tape. This will show maximum insertion depth. Don't push it in too far. No. Fill the reservoir with the rehydration solution. Invert the reservoir. Open the mouthpiece. It's no longer a mouthpiece at that point. Uh, and squeeze any air out. Close the tube once the air has been purged. Insulate the reservoir with clothing. The, a litre of water at 37 degrees cools to about 32 degrees within 15 minutes when left at room temperature. Oh, okay. Salt and sugar seem to be ingested down there. Mm. You can also put drugs in that area. Suppositories are a pill you pop up there that melt and release their payload. Yes. Uh, they are absorbed directly into the bloodstream. The ingredients in Astroglide are mm. aloe vera, vitamins C and D, and chamomile flower extracts. Oh, okay. In a ketones diet, what you really want to avoid are carbs. Carbohydrates mm -hmm. break down into simple sugars. They get burned up first. If you deprive the body of carbs, it starts on your fat reserves. It breaks the fat reserves down into ketones and uses them as an energy source. And your breath stinks. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, people it's, it's people really weird. going into ketosis smell terrible. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually did a, a ketosis diet a couple of years ago, and I, I freaked out because I got this metallic taste in my mouth. I hadn't read up on it too much. And then I was like, oh, my God, I, th I thought I'd been sucking a metal bar while I slept. But no, it was just my body going, ketones for you. Yeah, it wasn't fun. I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> no. Aloe vera and chamomile are both... Aloe vera? I had to say that once, by law. <laughs> but, sorry, you have to. Lovely it's, 1950s it, joke there. That's good. Thank you. 
aloe vera and chamomile are both plants. They have fructose and carbohydrates in them. Mm. They are not keto-friendly. Sugars turn turn into carbohydrates. That's what yep. sugars basically do. So I'm sure people have done this. If you haven't, you should. You take a piece of bread, a tiny piece of bread, put it on your tongue, and that's carbohydrates, of course, and you leave it there. It'll start tasting sugary. Uh, sugary. So the carbohydrate breaks down into sl- simpler and simpler sugars. That's right, in your mouth. So you can do it very easily, about five minutes, and it's a really good test for kids to prove this happens. So bread is sugar, so it can't you know, basically, yep. can't, well, a step away from sugar. But it's an important mm-hmm. step. Carbohydrates are a complex molecule. They begin getting digested in the mouth with the saliva, but then oh, they okay, pass yeah. through with the stomach acid. They're exposed to digestive enzymes, and then they're taken up into the body in the small intestine. Mm. Carbohydrates are too complex for the lower intestine to absorb. The large intestine's job is only to absorb water and salt. Ah, yes. Because yes, it's all sort of, of loose and, and running down there. And you're like, well, we kind of need that salt and water. So it takes mm. all that out and drops out a nice dry turd. Mm-hmm. So ingesting carbohydrates in the large intestine is way above its pay grade. It can't do that. <laughs> We're not built for this. There are things called nutrient enemas. A paper published in Nature in 1926 stated that because the rectum and lower digestive tract lack digestive enzymes, it is likely that only the end products of normal digestion, such as sugars, amino acids, salt, and alcohol, will be absorbed. Interesting. But any carbs that do get down there become food for your intestinal microbiology. They'll gobble up those carbs and expel gas. So if you've got five pounds of astroglide up there, you may end up feeling quite gassy. Five pounds of astroglide. Well, that's how much she said that she put on. Oh, okay. But that's that's once a night. That's once every night. Five pounds. That's a lot. Five, that's a lot that's, of astroglide. I'm just isn't it like two and a half pounds to the kilogram? So that's that's basically two kilograms of astroglide. Am I am I correct there? I think uh, yeah, probably, about two two to three. Kilos. How many barley coins? How many barley coins is that? I can never remember. Oh, that's, who knows? God, how to check? How many possums of nutmegs or whatever? That's mm. weird. Two kilograms of astroglide. That's a that's a big jar. That has yeah, to be. I what? don't. I don't think that. She, I don't think she's gaining the weight from the astroglide. <laughs> God, what she's swimming in it. <laughs> now that's... your weight does fluctuate during the day. You're constantly mm. taking in and expelling fluids and solids, and one to two kilos a day of change is not uncommon. Uh, also, when the moon is above you, you're about one millionth of a kilo lighter from <laughs> tidal forces. <laughs> So, just Uh, a couple of final safety messages. Number one, the keto diet is not a good diet. You get short-term benefits, but you up your risk of cancer and diabetes. Mm -hmm. So far as your anus, don't put alcohol up there. Mm -hmm. Some alcohol alcohol is quite toxic to go straight into your blood system and needs to be converted by the digestive enzymes. All alcohol is toxic. Let's face it. Yeah, but some of it... (laughs) Some of it can get into your bloodstream and it's like, that's the fun bit. But some of it yes. has to be converted in your stomach before it gets into the bloodstream. Mm, mm, okay, yeah. so don't put alcohol up there. Don't put coffee up there. There have yep. been th- three times that people have died from coffee enemas. <laughs> okay, Bear grills. Don't put dirty water up there. Yeah. Boil yeah. it first. Yeah, but he couldn't. He was on a raft, Dan. It was a, it was life and death. Though mentally, he could have just asked the, the TV raft that was floating next to him to save him and, and yeah. fly him out. Yeah, He should have thought of that. I always I, wondered about that. Bear Grylls is somewhere in Borneo, and he's, like, dying from dysentery, and he has to make a spear out of a blade of grass to kill a boar. And I'm always like, just 
ask the guy next to you with a camera and a phone to call in some pizza. If, if it's true survival, use all your resources. <laughs> it's, it's so weird. No, but they're documentary makers. They, they can't help him out. Because then that's a, that screws with the natural order that's of things. That's actually true. That's yeah, that's true. You see, so you you let a gazelle die, and you'll let Bear Grylls fall down a ravine. Yeah, that's 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 harsh, Be- but fair. Because if he dies from dysentery or, or dehydration, then a yeah. bear will eat him, and the ants will eat him, and then and he he's yeah. returned to the earth. Those ants don't get to eat Bear Grylls otherwise. That's very true. That's very true. I just I thought you were about to make a Bear Grylls joke, but you didn't. You you, you talked about bears. Like, Here it comes, but you didn't. It wasn't. No, I didn't even realize what I was talking about there. <laughs> yeah. So it's, like, it's almost like I don't really have a lot of knowledge. The <laughs> Okay, don't put dirty water up there. And people are like, yes. oh, but it's just dirty water. It can't be worse than the shit that's up there. Well, actually, your body has specifically yeah. created an environment for that shit to exist. It's the that's good right. shit. <laughs> don't put salt water up there. Because, oh, okay. Yep, because salt water, what's going to happen is it's just going to leach the... Fresh water out of your bloodstream. Yeah, osmosis. Yeah, the osmosis, power of osmosis. We're, we're not, yeah, our cells, if you put salt in the outside of something, that all the water will go, we're out, and then you're in trouble. Okay. But put as many penises up there as you want to, but use yep. a condom on each one. Also, one at a time is probably safer, but I'm not here to kink shame you. That's right. <laughs> it looked just like the act itself. This was uncomfortable to begin with, but in the end, I relaxed and got into the spirit of it. So thank you, Dan. Hooray! With all that butt stuff out of the way, Dan. Oh let's yeah. Talk about, let's talk about some butt stuff. Ah, oh, you know, look who's Mister Hippie. Look who's. Oh, don't tell me, don't tell me. And you're mine's like, much ah, more... you were sitting on, you were sitting on your own butt stuff. <laughs> mine is much more scientific. Hey, I... hey. As in, as in dry and boring. <laughs> Ooh, you don't want dry butt stuff. That's what the whole article before was about. <laughs> that's, that's right. Now, we, of course, know about, about our brain. Our brain is what drives us supposedly to be better than the animals, if inverted commas, better than the animals. We have this massive amount of neurons, billions of neurons in our skull. Brain's the only thing that can know about itself. It's supposedly, that's it. We, we don't know. It sort of can ask questions about itself. It's this amazing thing in our heads. But did you know that there are 400 million neurons not in your head? right now having a good old think about stuff and helping you helping you live there's well there's already quite a few neurons in your spinal column oh yeah yeah yeah. there's hundreds of millions of neurons in your spinal column but there's 400 million or so in something called the enteric nervous system this is a web of neurons that surrounds your gastrointestinal system so it begins in the esophagus and extends all the way down to the anus oh wow these are neuro. These actual so neurons are net of them that all kind of work together. And what they do, this amazing oh, part of. I know. Of, you, I, I, I wait. I'm joining the dots already. Oh yes. What do they do? They help you think with your stomach. Basically, yes. They don't go. Oh, I'd really like smashed avo on toast. They, they, they don't think that. They're not like. Oh, I could really. When you go, I really could go for some pizza right now, or, also, or some tint. Cravings aren't coming from there. No, supposedly not. They don't seem to have wants or needs. What they do is make sure that your entire gastrointestinal system fires properly. So it says, oh, I'm full of food. Okay, you you fire. So you muscles at the top fire, and the next muscles fire, and the next muscles fire, and actually push down these pellets of poop or food through your system and push it through. It actually is working by itself. 
and it's saying, okay, muscles go and create little rings of muscle that actually get it flowing. So you eat food and it comes out Uranus in the end. And that's because of the, the enteric nervous system, the ENS, 400 million neurons all working together if to make sure you poop. the D in food and you took it off and you sort of squished it a little bit and then you sort of jammed it between the F, the two prongs of the F in food, it would spell poo. Yes. It, no, that's, it's like, it's like sh- a chemical reaction. But with words. I'm assuming that yeah, that was your enteric nervous system coming up with the best joke it could about itself. Was that that's what that was, isn't it? No, no, it was trying desperately trying to push everything down. <laughs> <laughs> now what's cool about the ENS is it seems to be an autonomous neuron system. So it's not they used to think that the brain would go, ENS, make the food go down your into the butt. Yep. And we go, okay. And we go, go, go. They thought the brain was going, go, go, go. And it definitely does send signals down the vagus nerve to the ENS. So it is, they're in communication with each other. Your second brain mm. in your guts seems to be in communication with your first brain in your head. Yep. But when they cut the vagus nerve in mice, poor mice, but that's what they're there for, yep. the ENS continues all by itself. It goes, oh, no signals in the brain. Okay, we'll just keep digesting. And it works out when to digest food. It doesn't need to be talking to the brain. Wow. So, so we're like dinosaurs. We've got a second we are, brain. We, yes, we, we, we really do. And we have, seem to have the second brain in our stomachs that can do its own thing. It's very simple. It does its, uh, you know, basically causes these you know, poop-like pellets to pass through the gut. It seems to be working autonomously from the brain when it's disconnected from the brain. So is this everything with the digestive system has this? Everything, every, definitely every mammal. I know that for definite. Uh, I, I don't see why it would be. Yeah, no, actually it must be. No, no. Sorry. Yes. The answer I will say is yes. Everything with a digestive system has an ENS of some sort. So whilst I was making a joke about dinosaurs having a second brain and they don't, yeah. They don't have like the second brain to control their, in their hindquarters tail. in their tail, mm-hmm. but they do have a second brain to control their digestion. It seems like they absolutely do. Oh, I'm going to upset so many paleontologists <laughs> by saying dinosaurs have a second brain because I'm going to be right and they're going to be wrong. What's interesting is that though the ENS doesn't seem to have uh, control of the body in any real way, like it doesn't have, it doesn't think so much. It does seem to play a role in influencing our emotional states because. of the body's serotonin, our feel-good transmitters, is produced in the bowel. (laughs) (laughs) Hence the lady from the previous thing. All of her endorphins are happening but from the bowel. (laughs) So serotonin in the bowel. Also, half of your dopamine levels are produced in your bowel. Wow. This is all under control of the ENS. Now, we're not saying the ENS produces these, but it does seem to have something to do with it. We're not too sure yet. It's this really interesting thing. And the most interesting part of all of this for me is the ENS, enteric nervous system, seems to have evolved before our major brain because we have basically we oh. developed from the anus up. So this means that technically the ENS is our first brain and our first brain is our second brain. Oh, my goodness. The one in your head is the second one that developed, not the first one. So we've, we've been calling it the first and second brain. We've got it switched around the wrong way. The one in your gut is your first brain historically, and your thinking meat is your second brain. You have provided me with an arseload of joy. (laughs) Once again, Dan, brave chrononauts that we are, 
you step manfully forward into the small time machine of smart enough to know better. I close the door behind you, clang it shut, and we press the button, not knowing where you're going to be sent. Did you say cronuts? Too late, Dan. The door's closed. Where are I'm these? Sorry. Clo- where are these croissant donuts? No, not no. We can't take anything in the machine. Remember, that's the rules. You can't have anything in there. We'll kill you instantly if we put cronuts in there. God but damn cronuts, it! Though I must admit, if someone said to me, "You can have an hour's worth of cronuts and then die," you'd be like, "Oh, oh okay." I'd that's probably make enough. it about forty-five minutes before I died of cronut poisoning. <laughs> you sit down at the machine. You press the big knob. And then you turn the big wheel and then you drink the glass of water and the little bird comes out and starts drinking the water for you, making the time machine switch on. And you know that you have one There's a little hour. diving man who dives backwards yes. into a tub. Obviously. That's how time travel works. Okay. That's, it's, it's, hence why it's backwards into a tub. We don't have to explain time travel to me, Dan. We built the machine. We know how this works. You know, it's fascinating that we built a time travel machine, and but we're still trying to work out how to make artesian wells and stuff. We're very good at what we do. Yeah. <laughs> what we do is make time machines. Anyway, we now have an hour. The machine starts to power up. You can't get out. And you are sent to Venta Isanova, Is- Isanora, sorry, 56 AD in the British Isles. You have one hour to work out where you're going, when you're going, and how you're going to pimp your time. I'm very sorry. There seems to have been some sort of mistake. I was I was expecting like a nice, relaxing camping type experience here in Great Britain, mm. but everyone here's like real tense, <laughs> real tense. It's like the start of an episode of Doctor Who or something. Like there is an <laughs> undercurrent of concern. Also, there is no tea here, Greg. Um, you yet. sent me to Great Britain. I thought I would have a nice cup of tea. Tea doesn't arrive here for 1,600 years. <laughs> you have a while. What would they say? Hello, would you like a cup of mud? It's very equivalent to what we're going to be drinking in the future. Mm. Hey, would hey. You like to, oh. would, you, would you like to suck this leaf? You don't, even, you don't even like the taste of alcohol. We can't trust you to I know what don't. things taste like. Tannins are the, are the worst. I don't know why you drink anything with tannins in it. They're terrible things. Terrible. I learned something interesting. Um, there is a type of person called a super taster mm. who can taste certain chemicals that other people can't. You've heard of coriander yes. and how some people, it tastes like soap to them because of a particular yes, gene yeah. expressing in them. Mm-hmm. Well, super tasters can taste up to three different chemicals that most people can't. Okay. And things have so much more taste to them. And super tasters are often the type of people who are like, oh, no, I ate bread and ham. That's my diet. <laughs> so, so similar it's, to me. It's, it's, so, and, so I, I, uh, like, I try not to be too judgmental of people, but I can actually get a bit sort of like, oh, God, just having white bread and ham, like lazy taste bud sort of. Like they're just not, they're just not asserting themselves. Like, yes. But it turns out that these people might actually have a, like a thing that's making everything taste like absolute poison to them or something, mm. like, or just taste really mm. crazy and just far too strong and just go, oh, no, that's why I don't eat broccoli is because it tastes like you're pouring sulfuric acid into my mouth or something. You do realise the Romans have taken over all of Britain. Why are we talking about head? I'd love to eat bread and ham. Who are you? What are you doing in my oh, village? Oh, I'm sorry. Have I got off on a tangent on the podcast? Oh, I'm, I'm sure the listeners. What the heck's a podcast? I'm sure the listeners are completely, completely baffled by us I going on a tangent. Insane. 
I, I, do you about need help? About science. Are, we, are you? Are you? Do you need help, young man? I just. We. Are, are you Roman? You. You seem to have a nose for it. Hey, hey, hey! That's a that's a strong beast and nose. Yes, it looks very Roman to me. I'm just we're trying to point out here. Okay. We're not really big fans of that here. Well, apparently years. you've been getting along with the Romans fine. Well, we yes. Yeah. <laughs> You've been getting along for years. I mean, there was an uprising about a decade ago when the Romans wanted to take away all of your weapons. And we did say that we would we would work with the Romans. Everyone else got really angry at us. And, yep. But we were like, well, we've got to survive. You know, when in Rome. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you want the, the you wanted the right to bear arms, mm, which is a mm. fundamental right that should never be refused. Here, would you like these surface-to-air ground missiles? <laughs> I okay. would love them. I can't invent them. Oh, okay. damn it. The uprising was quashed, but you, uh, you guys retained your independence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, I'm love. I'm loving this second person thing. Like, oh, it's a, okay. we are very good fighters. Okay, you guys are sick of the Romans interfering with your affairs and extending their reach. You guys have commerce. You've got markets. You've got festivals, and you want to keep all this without Caesar poking his long-reaching nose into your business. Is that that's a Roman joke? I liked it. Well done. Yeah, good. Okay, the king died. And because you've aligned yourself with the Romans, the Romans are supposed to have the kingdom. The kingdom is supposed to go to Rome. Yes. They came in. That's that was, part of the deal. That was the deal. Okay. That, 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 that king made. Yeah. The king was like, what do I care? I'm going to be dead. So instead he bequeathed it to the emperor and his own daughters. The Romans said balls to that, came in, they beat up his widow, Queen Boudica, and they raped his daughters. Mm. Okay. Queen Boudica then led an uprising the Romans were not expecting. <laughs> she is described thusly. In stature, she was very tall, in appearance most terrifying, in the glance of her eye most fierce, and her voice was harsh. A great mass of the tawniest hair fell to her hips. She is a feminist icon, a powerful and competent woman who is responsible for the deaths of 8,000 Romans and their allies. <laughs> Ultimately, however, her forces were defeated and she poisoned herself rather than leave herself to the Romans. She burnt Londinium. I mean, she, she yeah. burnt cities, entire cities. It's very exciting yeah. stuff. But her forces were defeated. Yeah, that's true. What she really needs is a cis white guy to teach her how to do things properly. <laughs> Enter our hero. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm laughing, but it's out of fear. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, I didn't do this. Like, you've put me in this position. <laughs> like, there's nothing else for me to do. I know she's going to fail. You don't need to You don't need to involve yourself with Badika particularly, do you? <laughs> oh, are you kidding? Did you see that tawniest hair? All right. Oh, God. Oh. So, we have got access to almost 300,000 people. Unfortunately, they are barbaric in their skills, and we're going up against the Roman Empire. Okay. Barbaric in their skills. <laughs> Good. <laughs> if we can beat these guys, there's an, actually an incredibly good chance that they'll end up just giving up on Great Britain entirely as a bad job. At this point in history, there's been a lot of uprisings. It's not going well for them. It's not particularly valuable real estate to them. Yes, and, and like, actually, that's kind of like now because it seems like if if Brexit goes badly, I think a lot of the world's going to give up on Britain as a bad job. Yeah. Hey, Brexit hey. joke, topical joke about something I don't really understand. <laughs> yeah. 
It's a tricky battle, this final battle, though. This is the final battle. Okay, stop there. That's as much as we can afford. Okay. Okay. (laughs) This final battle, it's a tricky battle. It's sort of a big field and then a canyon and then trees, a forested area at the back. So we can't sneak Mm. up on them. We can't come at them from on top of them. Those Romans really knew what they were doing. The Romans know what they're doing. When it comes to subjugating idiots, the Romans have it down. Yeah. And we are idiots. 300,000 of them. (laughs) Hush. It's a tricky battle. It's too small for all of our 300,000 people to go up against their small forces. We're basically Batman villains going up one at a time in this. And the Romans (laughs) just going pow, biff, punch, thwack, wank. The Romans have javelins. Historically, 80,000 Britons fell. Only 400 Romans died in that battle. Shit went sideways. They didn't have proper weapons, and with so many people, it was hard to give them orders. Like it was just, it was just a friggin' mess. Basically, a lot of a lot of Britons ran towards Romans and died on their spears. Pretty much, yeah, right. And the Romans, like they didn't need communication because they had their training. They knew what to do. They knew what was going to happen. I'm wondering if the the Romans' war cry was "Come and have a go if you think you're hard enough." And the Britons were like, right, we'll have you, son. Yeah, goaded them into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Smart Romans. I wish I was clever enough to translate, come and have a go if you think you're hard enough, into Latin. Anio vengsi ventriopion. Okay. That's my gibberish (laughs) Latin. All the Britons are going, what? (laughs) What What do they say? I think they're having a go at us, right? That's it. Yeah, I, it's, we, we, we got the context and the tone, yes. so yes. we know that, man, that we're going to fuck those shits up. That man is showing his astroglide to us. Let's get him. <laughs> uh, so the Romans were throwing javelins at them, killing a bunch of people, and then when they ran out of javelins, they just surged at them. Panic set in. The Britons had nowhere to go because the rest of the Britons are in the way. And that describes Brexit. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, That's very, very good. Okay, I need a system that wins us the war and makes me a war hero. Mm. So, I make a cone. In fact, I make a bunch of cones. Are you going to pimp your time using traffic cones? Witches hats? No, you don't want to to talk about witches hats at this time. (laughs) Go this way. Go this way. Go down. No, no. No, Funnel your forces to the flank. Follow the cones. You're going to be fine. Um, I won't be funneling forces. I'm going to make a bunch of cones, and when I speak into the little end of my open cone, the sound waves from my vocal cords are directed in the direction that I want. I see. But there's something cool occurring here. The size of your throat and the size of the outside of your mouth is very different, historically (laughs) and famously. Okay. (laughs) When the sound comes out, the impedance mismatch is such that a bunch of your sound bounces back at you. Mm. Say that you make noises in the air, but if I'm underwater, I can't hear your noise. But if you're underwater, I can hear your noise. It travels Uh through the water. Yes. So if you go above the water and I speak underwater, you still can't hear me. I've assumed it was refracting back into the water, the change of the the density of the the problem. Yes. Yes, that's exactly it. Uh-huh. It creates an interface and causes this uh, impedance mismatch. All your words are very strange to me, cis white male. That's a very weird name, by the way, but that's fine. Okay. The same thing is happening between my throat 
and the outside of my mouth. There is a difference in pressures, and uh, that means that the noise created in my throat rushing up to my mouth, but when it exits the mouth, it hits a vast space with a different impedance, and so the sound is sort of deadened by that, and it bounces back into my throat and into my mouth. But if I push my mouth up to a cone... Then it slowly widens and finally it exits at the wide end. Very little of the sound bounces back, meaning that it's much louder. More of the sound is escaping. Ha! Huh, there you go. That's why these work. It directs the sound. It also prevents the sound from hitting an impedance interface. And because the cone is a resonant object, treble sounds are getting boosted. They bounce more effectively up the cone while the bass gets slightly muted. This means, because the wavelength's longer, this means that it will sound a little bit unnatural, but dulling the bass and boosting the treble is exactly what you would do to make speech easier to make out. Ooh, okay. Okay. The Romans may have their fancy training and tactics, but now (laughs) I can indicate the Queen's desire to everyone on the pitch using my megaphone. If the field is too big, I'll have to have people relaying the instruction above the noise, but they will be heard above the noise of the battle. When the Queen makes her speech, everyone hears it. Everyone is psyched up. Everyone is pumped. Everyone is on the same page. When the Romans start flinging their javelins, she can warn her entire army. When they charge, everyone will know it immediately, and we can direct people to get out of the way and how to flank them in real time. Also, having the voice of God boom down to you in a foreign language (laughs) should go some way into scaring the willies out of the Romans. How big is this cone? Uh, it's probably a good two or three meters long. Oh, wow. Okay. It is massive. It is mounted. I see. And probably on a swivel of some sort. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is really big. There are historic occasions where people have made these big cones in order to communicate with big groups of people. Couldn't you just use semaphore? People to be constantly looking at you. Oh, good thinking. Rather than at the javelins that are coming to their heads. No, that's fine. That's that's a great you idea. You want to go that's... back and invent semaphore? Do what you want. I, I'm the one in the time machine. <laughs> I'm just I was just putting it out there, Dan. I was just, just saying. No, I, I, and you've answered it very well. So basically, a giant cone that you can yell at your friends and terrify your enemies with. The megaphone. The yeah, megaphone. That's fantastic. Uh, I'm going to call it Danflamication. <laughs> very good. I'm danflifying my sound. Oh, that sounds like I'm deadening it. No, I'm not going to call that. <laughs> I, it's, it's a work in progress. It's a blue sky thing. <laughs> That's right. And basically you'll leave Badika to great victory over the Romans yep. and then you will be the wise man of the British Isles. Yeah. Fantastic. Well done. I love that idea. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Greg. And to thank you properly, I'm going <laughs> to shove you into the time machine. You are going to 2001 BC. Ooh. Harapan in the Indus Valley. Look at Harapan. Fantastic. Now, thank you, Dan, for pimping that time. Now, listeners, if you think Dan could have done something more interesting, get in contact with us. We always like to hear from people who know about history and think that we're lunatics. If you have a different idea, let us know on the socials as well. We'd like to hear your ideas. Before we finish up on this, do you remember the Occupy movement where people sort of took, like, Occupy New York and Occupy these different cities around the world where people just went into parks and said, no, we're sick of the 1%. We want to just sit here until people the world changes for the better. That's for a couple right. Of months, yeah, the, the people in the top 6% were complaining at the people in the top 1%. They said it wasn't yes. fair. Yes. They went out there, true. they organized on their mobile phones, they drank their fresh water from the tap, and they went out there and complained that they weren't getting enough. I'm not getting into this with you. No. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. 
what the, one of the things they did was sort of similar to what you did then. They weren't allowed to use, in the New York ones, they weren't allowed to use electronic amplification. It was against the law. And the cops said, if you, if you take out a megaphone and start yelling about stuff, we will have you. And they went, okay, fine. So what would they do is they'd have one person say, here's our demands. And then 10 people around them would yell what they just said. So they hear my demands and 10 people go, here are my demands. And so they were like human megaphones. Ah. And then they would get 30 more people to carry it out. So they could get 100 people all bellowing out the one person's words. And whoever that speaker was. So if you wanted to speak, you'd ask permission to speak. You'd walk up and speak and 100 people would bellow your words out to the group. And you couldn't get done for amplification because it wasn't. It was just 100 people yelling the same thing. And I went, that's really clever. They very, do very that clever. at football matches too, don't they? They've got yes. They, they know kind of. They know what they're going to say, and they're like you end up with like four hundred people all targeting the same player, going "Yo, suck, go <laughs> suck, you're bad at football." Ha ha ha. <laughs> Although exactly. it tends to be a bit ruder. Yeah, they normally go. Your mother wasn't a nice lady, and your father was also not a nice lady. We we don't go to football matches. No, not after last time. We got kicked out. Too rude. (laughs) Walk of shame. This is the part of the podcast where our listeners write in to tell us where we've got things wrong and how we can be more scientifically accurate in the future. And I'm going to start. This is from Michael Barnes, friend of the episode, for long-term friend of the episode, actually. Friend of the episode. Friend of the episode and the whole podcast. Let's just give him the podcast. He's a friend of this particular episode. It's like a sister project. It's a sister, <laughs> sister school project. Yeah. Michael Barnes is the friend of this episode. If you'd like to be a, a friend of an episode, we have a Patreon yeah. that you can donate to. <laughs> Very good point. So, Michael Barnes, you are the friend of this episode. And he wrote, the last episode was another pearl of an episode. At three minutes and 46 seconds, I love the fact he wrote that, Dan responds with Akiwa, nerdy wordplay, uh, is one of the reasons we listen. Uh, nerdy wordplay on the outstanding Japanese anime Akira. And your precancerous cells, my, as in my precancerous cells, are treated. It wasn't Akira that became the massive body horror in the movie, but his protagonist, Shotari Kaneda's childhood friend, Tetsuro Shima. So perhaps the wordplay should have been Greg Suo or Shimwa. Yeah, but look, look, I. Look, he's I technically just, correct. The best sort of correct. Yes, I, I just want Michael to know. Like, even if I have to take the walk of shame, I want him to know. Of course, I know Kaneda and Tetsuo are the people in that. But the but isn't the blob like isn't the that weird the weird baby the, thing? Yeah, yeah. The, or the big blob thing. That's like Tetsuo couldn't do that by himself. That's on a level that is Akira, the no. essence of Akira, because Akira no. was like the brain in the jar or something, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, which, the blobby baby thing. Which, and, and, and it was his power that that, that was flo- flowing through the children and through Tetsuo. Mm-hmm. Like, I know the names of those characters and just, <sighs> fine, I'll take a walk. I'll fine, take I love a the walk. fact that, that I think I'm going to say maybe 70% of our audience are like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> have you guys not Have you guys not watched Akira? It is. It's very, it's very old now. Remember that. It's very old. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's I mean, it's iconic. I mean, it's, it's not good. Not very, it's not good. It's no, not good. No, no. no it's, it's not, not good. It's not, not a very good story. But then no. most it's, Japanese it's not, sto- anime is, are not good stories. They, they're, they're generally garbage. Yeah, and you know why? It's because we have been raised with a particular f- story format. Yes. If you were it's raised a in a culture difference. that went mm. for those stories, then you would be all about it. 
but because we have been sort of trained to enjoy the 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 and I think it's more from Greek stuff with the hero's mm-hmm. journey stuff, mm. we have a particular the myth. Yeah, we have a particular expectation of how a story goes and when a story doesn't meet up with that it can be a little bit disorienting and unpleasant for us unless we're like super in like there are plenty of people who love anime oh yeah people who are having a meltdown with us saying that akira was garbage <laughs> but it's, it's garbage uh, uh moving on like, like a lot of old stuff is garbage. I, people go, oh, my God, you have to read this Isaac Asimov book. And I really love science fiction. And I go read the Isaac Asimov book and I go, that was garbage. And it's because at the time it was genius. And I get that. But the books I read now have fed on the soil and the hummus, the hummus, the, the, the loam, the, the, um, the loam, I guess, <laughs> yes, of Isaac Asimov. And better, in inverted commas, stories have developed out of it. And things have evolved. And so his things come across simplistic and silly to me now. So when I read them, I go, nah, I'm, that's just dumb. But you don't say that because a science fiction fan will punch you in the testicles. So you have to be very careful. I have a walk of shame for you. Good. Dan from Gulgong, New South Wales, says that during Pimp My Time, episode 141, Greg kept saying that he was going to rend fat. Mm. Okay. I assume he's thinking about rending flesh because you don't rend fat, you render it. Ah. You render (laughs) fat, you rend flesh. I mean, I rend fat when I'm eating it off like a pork or something. I like rip it apart to eat it, but you're rendering fat. You're absolutely right, Dan. I and not you, Dan. You're you're not right, Dan. I mean, I'm talking about Dan. In We're a team. Well, We're team Dan. Oh, team Dan. Dan squared. Well, Dan squared. I will take that walk of shame. You're absolutely correct. I love it. Thank you very much. All right, one for one. Okay, that's it. Let's get out. Now, this is not really a one for either of us. This is from Eric Wilson. Oh, okay. And Eric wanted to say that it's not really a walk of shame, but it does fit in. We were talking about The Lion King. You and I were discussing, Dan, that what chance did Scar have being named Scar? I mean, his elder brother is short for Mufasa. Mufasa. That's very good, yes. Now, what chance when your elder brother is named Mufasa? And you're like, oh, he's the legendary lion of amazingness. And, oh, hello, I'm Mufasa. And you're, and you're the second brother and your name is Scar. Then, of course, you're going to turn out evil and try and kill your older brother and try and murder his son and take over the kingdom. That's called That's nominative just... determinism. Exactly right. But as Eric Wilson points out, Scar's name wasn't Scar. Based on it the was Disney... Ariel. With the base of the Disney novel series... Six New Adventures. There, there are many books. Uh, there's so many books about this. I, which did, I did not, not realise that the, the Lion King had an expanded universe. It does. In the first book, A Tale of Two Brothers, we discover that Scar's name is Taka. T-A-K-A. So that's nice. So it's Mufasa and Taka, which means he's probably not going to be an evil son of a bitch because his name is Taka. Until, Dan. Yeah. You translate what Taka means. What's Taka mean? I see great hero. Trash. Trash. Trash, Dan. So you had one of the sons called Mufasa and the other one is called Trash. I am on Team Scar. Scar yeah. is the hero of that story. Well, he actually, together- actually, Mufasa, when mm-hmm. you translate that, it means uh, uh, penis juice. So Mufasa actually bought himself up. After all that teasing, he made something of himself. You can't lie in the walk of shame, Dan. It's not allowed. It's against the rules. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) 
But can we just say that from now on, when I watch Lion King, I'm going to be going, go, Scar. Yes, you can do it, Scar. You brought the hyenas together and gave everyone a chance to be amazing. And Took I'm, down I'm, the monarchy. It's just it's exactly right. Communism will get us through, and it's only because the bloody prince that was promised returns and everyone goes, oh, he's back. It all went horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. Stupid. I don't like that story. It's horrible. Poor Scar. Seriously, though, how many stories are about, oh, we should all listen to a certain family of people, a group of magical people who will lead us to the promised land. You will never get, you'll never be part of them. So we've got Lion King, which is a bit monarchy ones, but even things like Star Wars are all about magical humans with magical powers. Harry Potter? Harry, yeah, you have to be chosen Anything to Anything with any sort of, um, of, of uh, prediction. Yeah. The it's prophecy just, just... has said... And you're like, and oh, this family, the, oh, we can't all fight. We're waiting for the magical family to turn up. It's just, I realize it programs us. I'm getting all, sorry, I'm getting all socialist now. It programs us not to take anything in our own hands, that we have to wait for the, the right people with the right bloodline to make a decision. It, oh, God. Ah, there are a ah, lot. Oh, I'm angry. There are a lot of Anne Rand style uh, yes. elements being pr- promoted in The Incredibles. I know that much. Oh, the- it's the Incredibles. Don't even. We shouldn't. Oh, that's a whole podcast in itself. Yeah. The Incredibles one is uh, Iron Rand wet dream. It's it's horrible. Everyone's it's special. Sh- dash. That's just another way of saying no one is. Oh, it's and, so good. And you've got one little the, the guy. You've got S- Syndrome going. I'm going to make something of myself. And Mr. Incredible goes, No, no. You have to be born special, you little bastard. And I'm going to make sure people like you don't get. Sorry, I'm pissed off about this. And it was like, ooh, The Incredibles is the best superhero movie ever. You're like, it is bullshit. Oh, it's a great supervillain movie. <laughs> and the second one is rubbish. I'm I'm calling it. I saw the second one and went, it's just, it's, it was like Brad, Brad Bird, Brian Bird, Brad, Brad Bird. Bird. He could do no wrong. It wasn't wrong, but it was just boring. It, it was just. just average. And look, it was a, I, I a love Brad Bird. I yeah, love was, the Iron Giant. I love the Incredibles. Oh, yes. Tomorrowland was hot garbage. Isn't it funny? I like the I like the premise of, of Tomorrowland, but it, it it lost something in translation, I admit. Yeah. Yes. And look, There's if a, you want to talk about villains who were totally in the right, that was a villain who I was totally yes, on board with. Yes. And it turned out to be House, and I'm like, I'm even more on your side now. Yeah. Oh, anyway, so what were we talking about again? Walk of shame. Oh, that's right. Oh, it's so over. You... It's over. We should probably finish the show up. No, but I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm all, I'm all angried up now. <laughs> I'm waving my arms, Dan. You have you been were... listening to oh, Dan. Oh, no, 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 no. Song. I'd like to do a song. Oh. <laughs> Wait. So what? We... No. God. No. Not yes. a song. We're doing a song, Dan. I'm oh, too I angry. I've gotten away from this. No, we're doing we're doing a song. We're doing a song. I'm too angry to we'll go end the podcast without a song. So we're doing a song. This is a lovely song. It's by a man by the name of Danny Schmidt. It's called Standard Deviation, and it's oh about, shit, really? It's about love and maths. No, it's not. It's just about he's gives you a list numbers or something. All right, let's have a listen. Chalkboard full of secrets It was like some kind of code To tell the stars and planets How to fall and how to glow But when she turned to face the classroom There was chalk upon her nose Like the ghost of Madame Q 
hottest thing she'd seen. So she grabbed her by the brainstem and she threw her to the floor. They kissed like their equations had never balanced quite before. Cause every lonesome thesis just describes the unobserved. There's always one who'll fall upon the tail of every curve. There's so many lies, so many doors, so many twisted keys within the standard deviation from me. There's so many lies, so many doors, so many twisted keys within the standard deviation from me. I feel very relaxed and mellow right now. I knew it would help. Oh, it's that's a lovely. wonderful. What a great way to end the podcast. You have been listening to Dan at smartenough.org. And also Greg at smartenough.org. You can check us out at the website, smartenough.org, and follow us on our various social media. Sorry, the switch has gone again. The switch went into the negative position on my microphone. Oh, okay. I thought we were okay. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Wow. That was... Very mellow. Still, I am feeling nice and relaxed and mellow. Isn't it, isn't it a wonderful song? It's a lovely yeah, song. I, yeah. I, I, I really like it. Right. Really well, like I guess there's very little for us to do now except for thank our Patreon. Oh, so this mellow mood is not going to last long, is it? Oh, no. Oh. I thought we were going to leave the podcast on such a nice a oh. nice energy. Yes. Okay. Well, just say it in a nice way then. Just say it really nicely. No. <laughs> Hey, they're not paying for that. They're not paying That's for... That's true. That's okay. Very true. So, big thank you to all the people who get onto iTunes and rate and review us and get onto the website and follow us on all our social media and interact with us however way you want to. we got forums and... Co- well, we got comments on the you website and you can yeah. find us. Yeah. And you every every Friday us. we do Philosophy Friday. That's always fun. So, uh, we had one recently about the end of the world and what you, how you could contribute to the society. It was good. All good times. Yeah. Okay, now our top tier Patreon members are paying fifteen bucks an episode so that I will abuse them at the end of the podcast. I don't want to do this, no. but I have no. to. And the no. and they're the in fact they're the monster, Dan. They're, they're the, the monsters. Monster. Yes. Okay, and I have to try do as much work as I can to make sure that they are having a, a personalized experience. Of course. Of okay. Course. Al Batson. Mm. is an ex-cop who lives in Brisbane. Well, we all know about ex-Queensland cops, don't we? (laughs) And I think we found out how Al can afford to be a top-tier level patron. Why bother with the Patreon, Al? Why not just leave a brown paper bag full of cash on my desk? Steady, 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 man. (laughs) Careful. Eric Wilson is from Utah. That's 3,500 kilometres from Manhattan. That's quite distant, isn't it, Greg? It is, yes. Quite, quite distant from Manhattan. Some yeah. might say it's almost suspiciously distant from where terrorist jihad forces smashed hijacked <laughs> planes into the World Trade Center in 2001. 
What a good alibi to be so far away and also only 10 years old at the time. What are we doing? What's going on? Anu ashu kubik watani. That's our Arabic for I suspect you heathen, but you already what? knew that, didn't you, Eric Wilson? What, what, are, what are we... What the hell is Tom happening? Tom Seary works for a bank in Ireland. Ireland. Oh, I don't suppose you have any strong feelings about the geopolitical climate there, Tom. Where were you on the 20th of July, 1982, Tom? Aside from the loss of human life, there were innocent horses there, you sick fuck. What are we... Oh, God. What? No. Dustin Fallon. No. Dustin Fallon. I have little to no actual evidence that Dustin Fallon lived a double life as a Soviet revolutionary in the years 1941 to 1953. But if I were to discover that he was actually Joseph Vishariyanovich Dejashvili, a.k.a. Joseph Stalin, the pockmarked one, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Uh-huh. Now, okay, I was horrified for a while. Now I'm just confused. Okay. Whereas I'm just confused the entire way through. <laughs> All right, now, the next one's a bit of a tricky one. I understand that look, as an adopted person, not even my original family loved me. I, I'm going to die alone. I'm going to die alone. Just read what's on the page, dickhead. I'm a useless human being who doesn't deserve any happiness. Now give me the 15 bucks. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no, what have you done? Yep. What have you done? Yep. I made a personal call on our friend Scott. <laughs> so Scott pays $15 to the podcast a month. You rang him up and recorded on the phone that he's adopted, which he is. Dude, you, you can't threaten someone over the phone. I got him in person. <laughs> you made him read that adopted people aren't loved, or at least he isn't, and then he handed you money. Oh, he's actually paid twice, hasn't he? <laughs> oh, sorry, Scott. Didn't mean to I make half, you pay twice. I want half of that 15 bucks. It's half of that's mine. Sure. Aren't Do you, you want me to come over and give it to you? No. No, I'm really scared, scared and sad. Okay, we have a new top-tier Patreon member. Oh, no. Okay. Oh, Run, Billy! Run! Okay, we've got someone called Billy Smith. That's all the information I have. Ooh. Bill Smith. Uh, I went to a website called How Many Of Me. There are over... 35,000 William Smiths in the USA alone. You generic cock. All right. Thank you very much to our top tier Patreon members. We also have uh, $5 Patreon members who get their name read out every single podcast. Okay. So big thank you to Andrew Trousdale, Andrew Whitehurst, Ilana Mitchell, Elizabeth Yunkin, Gyroscope, Lindsay Jenkinson, Matt Ewers, Matthew Toy, Michael Barnes, Natalie, Phil Holland, and Steve Eichenhout. Now, if you would like to support us, just, yeah, engage with us, tell your friends, maybe yes. do a rating thing on iTunes. If you really want to send us money, we have a Patreon, which is linked to off the website. Smart if you have dog. ever sat there and delighted in me suffering through learning about how fabulous dinosaurs are, and you've sat there <laughs> and gone, ah, oh, yeah, this is great hearing Dan freak out. You owe me money. You have to sign up to Patreon. If you've sat there and got poor Dan having to see his childhood like whittled away with fabulousness, then you never have to give us money. You can stop giving us money on Patreon if you want because that you are already supporting the podcast. 
I'm going to put a special thanks out to Hannah Blades. Uh, Hannah said that she bought her partner a comedy blimp T-shirt for his birthday and that he absolutely loved it. That they're both big fans of the podcast and they love the blend of buffoonery and science. And How dare she? Buffoonery? Buffoonery? I take my anal-absorbed keto very seriously. (laughs) I think that if we call ourselves science buffoons, that sums us up very well. So thank you for getting... (laughs) Thank you for getting in contact with us, Hannah. It's really exciting. I I normally run the the Facebook side of things, and it's really exciting to get to talk to people. Just send us a message. Say hi. I pass these on to Dan. Uh, we all get to see them. So, yes, uh, we love our patrons. We Look, we love you all. We, we always gobsmacked at how wide-ranging you all are and where you come from in the world. So thank you very much for giving us a moment of your time. And as we always like to say... Five pounds of Astroglide. Just what's on the paper, dickhead! <laughs> right, Amy, you just you laughed in the middle of it. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I have to go to the back <laughs> You could have just jumped in and just gone, oh no, Dan's right, shut up. That's what I wanted to hear. I Where's very the rarely do that. <laughs> That's, well, you very rarely have reason to. <laughs> I feel very relaxed and mellow right now. I knew it would help. Oh, it's that's a lovely... wonderful. What a great way to end the podcast. <laughs> you have been listening to Greg. And if Dan. You, if you need to contact Greg, you can find him at Greg. You've at started the music again. Is that you? No, it's you. I can't hear it, by the way. What's it doing? What? Hang on, what's up in here? I can't stop the music. <laughs> Nobody can stop the music. You can't stop the music. Now I'm excited again.